0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, an information security and cyber threat intelligence podcast brought to you by Digital Shadows, a Quest company. My name is Chris and I'm delighted to be back after a couple of weeks off on leave, where I've been in sunny Mallorca, so really, really nice to get that break. And I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Kim, who is in London. How are you doing, Kim?
1: Hello, I'm good, thank you. Also pleased to be back.
0: Yeah, it seems a while since we've been on the podcast, so uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, you've been away,
1: enjoy. I've been away.
0: I know, it's been a busy, busy uh, few months actually. Yeah, it's yeah. been a busy few months. Um, so I thought we could start this week's podcast with a brief overview of a few topics before getting on to our main topics for discussion. So quite a few things that have been going on in the last week. The first being related to a breach on the carding marketplace Biden Cash that I believe we've actually discussed on previous podcasts with 1.2 million records, including payment card information um, and other PII being leaked. And reportedly this was done for the purposes of raising the profile of the site and for promotion purposes. I'm not sure if you've seen this movie, Kim, uh, Dodgeball. Have you seen that one? I'm almost thinking uh-huh. of that. Yeah. Yeah. With that, um, what's that meme they have where oh, it's a bold strategy. Let's see if it pays off for them. You yeah. know, it seems to be what comes <laughs> to mind straight away. <laughs> but yeah biden cash so that's one we've talked about before i think we should also maybe introduce a new segment on the podcast as well detailing the latest nft or crypto platform actually being breached to resulting in you know significant financial losses uh, this time the effective platform is binance which many of you may know is the biggest and most successful crypto platform in circulation today this breach resulted in huge losses of uh, at the time uh, around 600 million us dollars and is believed to have resulted from an exploit affecting the BSC token hub, which is a bridge that allows two Binance blockchains to interact. And instead of stealing existing cryptocurrency, the exploit actually allowed the attackers to fabricate or mint 2 million Binance coins uh, that were then transferred to the attacker's account in two separate transfers. And then they moved these coins off the blockchain using different liquidity pools, including the use of stable coins like USDT and USDC. And they were able to swap approximately $100 million of this uh, remaining kind of fraudulent token coins uh, before the rest of them were were revoked across various platforms. And it was just a really interesting case and kind of serves as yet another reminder of the susceptibility of cryptocurrency bridges. So these are essentially a core component uh, allowing investors to move currencies across different blockchains, Uh, And they can be susceptible to both exploits targeting vulnerabilities on the smart contract that the bridge is created on or accomplished through kind of social engineering of users. And to be fair, you know, it can also be quite confusing for users in in operating on these bridges. You know, I've I've had my fingers burnt with this one. If you use the wrong bridge, you can actually lose uh, crypto. So I lost a very tiny amount of crypto just testing different bridges so it can be you know confusing to users as well and with any tech that has that uncertainty you know that does create opportunities for malicious actors too and the last thing to mention uh, just in this little segment is that we've seen reports of an Iranian hacktivist group compromising an Iranian state run TV broadcaster so this group known as the i'm going to mispronounce this as i do with everything on here um, edelat e ali uh, reportedly disrupted a live TV broadcast to display images of the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini alongside four women who were killed in uh, ongoing Iranian protests. And the activity comes um, amid a backdrop of protests uh, that are going on countrywide in Iran, and also kind of continues that revival of hacktivism that's been one of the big themes that we've seen in 2022. And funny enough, I read this morning that Anonymous were working to support these protests by targeting Iranian government websites. So yeah, we've talked about hacktivism and how that's returned this year. And this is just another example of that. So moving on to the first discussion point of the day, which, funny enough, relates to hacktivist activity targeting several US airlines who have been subjected to large scale DDoS attacks. And the DDoS attacks have overwhelmed the servers hosting these sites with garbage requests, making it impossible for travellers to connect and get updates about their, their scheduled flights or airline services. And no- notable examples of websites you know, that were affected by this, uh, including Jackson Atlanta International Airport. I was actually there recently, funny enough, uh, for a kind of a, a transfer. Uh, Los Angeles Airport, LAX, one of the biggest in the U.S., and they were they're all affected by this activity. So Kim, could you provide our audience with an overview of the group that were responsible for these attacks, um, who are KillNet?
1: Yeah, so KillNet claimed responsibility for these attacks on their Telegram channel, which is where they kind of run all of their operations, it seems. So KillNet is a pro-Russia hacktivist group that came to being at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war so back in February this year which it's crazy to think that that was February so long ago when um, we were kind of working and ramping up all of our response to that but yeah um, so Killnet will attack pro-Western and pro-Ukrainian entities in um, response to geopolitical activities that go on and so over time, KillNet has received a multitude of support from the Russian public. It's grown to become one of the largest and most active hacktivist groups. Um, so it's got like up there with Anonymous now. And it has um, more than 100,000 subscribers across its Telegram channels um, to give you an idea of the scale. And then it also has many subgroups and um, um they call them squads that will conduct these attacks on its behalf as well.
0: Wow. I did not know they had a hundred thousand subscribers. That really is yeah. quite something yeah. actually. I mean, it,
1: it might be more than that now. Um, but yeah, that was the last time I checked.
0: Yeah, that's that's really surprising. And and the fact that they've got the support of the Russian government, you know, Russia's such a, a you know, huge populous place, you know, I imagine there's gonna be scope for you know like you say, more subscribers or more people flock into this this kind of group uh, funny enough I'll take this opportunity to plug our 2023 predictions that we're going to be releasing in November that's going to cover hacktivism the fact that this is revived probably going to continue in the future so just another example as you said what are the motivations for this specific activity you know why would they target airlines and specifically U.S. airlines?
1: So Kilnet has said that its attacks are uh purely motivated by its mission to stop the aggression against Russia. So they claim that countries who are siding with Ukraine or providing support to Ukraine are contributing to this aggression. So that's the background of, of where their thinking is at. And so they're conducting these attacks to damage the economies of the countries that they deem are supporting Ukraine. And obviously, the U.S. is one of the bigger, bigger superpowers in NATO, in the world, and have been very vocal condemning the Russian invasion of Ukraine and also providing support to Ukraine. So that's why the U.S. in particular is, is a big target for this group. They said that the American civilian network is not secure, which is why they, why they tended to target this, but they want to, you know, disrupt travel, disrupt everyday activities, annoy the public to, you know, try and get the public to turn against their government. But I don't, I don't think this actually ended up having any travel disruption really for, for passengers. It, it was just those public facing websites that took the hit.
0: Okay, so the impact was relatively minor then. I, I sp- I suppose as well they, with the airline thing, it's in response to sanctions as well, right? So obviously with restrictions being made on Russians kind of leaving the country or, you know, travel restrictions and things like that, I suppose that might have something to do with it too.
1: Possibly. And obviously you can't fly over Russian airspace at the moment as well. So that, that's having quite a big impact on the air and airline industry.
0: Absolutely. What TTPs should be aware with should we um, be aware of uh, with regards to Killnet uh, and I guess other similar hacktivist groups, and how can uh, the risk be mitigated?
1: It's all about disruption, right? It's not. We haven't seen any examples of them conducting data theft or encryption or anything like that. It's it's been purely ddos attacks so yeah you're looking at disruptive attacks and also website defacements basically we're not we're not really seeing any any ttps wider than that at the moment with killnet and with with other hacktivist groups because it they want to make a loud noise to get their point across they're not going to uh, creep in quietly and and steal data so how to be prepared, you can do things like you try and reduce your attack surface as much as possible. So if it if your infrastructure doesn't need to be facing the Internet or, you know, websites that are key to operations don't need to be on the Internet, then then you can you can take those away. You can strengthen your bandwidth capabilities and you can try and like segment your network and your data centers, like I said, so they come away from the internet. But then, you know, there's a wide market for DDoS protection tools out there. So um, if you're not able to do those things yourself, you can pay somebody else to do them. And, you know, it's all about picking the right one for you and your business, but they will help to manage the flow and the volume of network traffic coming to your website to stop it being overwhelmed and to stop the DDoS attack stopping it operating.
0: Yeah, third-party services just come straight to mind. Thinking of DDoS, just pay pay a provider. This is a speciality to do it right. And the things that kind of came to my mind when thinking of mitigations is just all come under that umbrella of attack surface that you mentioned. The kind of, you know, managing remote services, you know, making sure you're aware of third-party scripts on your websites so that people can't inject things in there and conduct debasement activity. And then obviously DDoS, you know, we just mentioned. So all comes as part of attack surface management which will be quite a useful thing to talk about when we move on to our second topic of the day, this time covering a critical vulnerability affecting Fortinet and the security flaw that's designated CVE 2022 40684 is an authentication bypass on the administrative interface that enables remote threat actors to log into FortiGate firewalls, Forty proxy, web proxies, and also 40 switch manager on on premise uh, management instances. So, all Fortinet um, kind of hardware. Kim, could you provide us with a summary of this particular bug? And, uh, you know, why, why should security teams be concerned about this one in particular? I guess.
1: Well, everything I have prepared to summarize, you've already said. So, I'm going to skip straight ahead to why security teams should be concerned. So this vulnerability that you mentioned is already being actively exploited in the wild, even though there is a patch available for it. So common problems, patches not being implemented um, in a timely fashion, threat actors are already capitalizing. And the detail of this vulnerability, it being a bypass on the administrative interface, means that... If threat actors exploit it, then they can perform their operations on that administrative interface. So that gives them the level of permissions to be able to make changes across the board. Also, why it's particularly concerning is there is a large attack surface. Um, So I saw online that there's more than 140,000 FortiGate firewalls that can be reached from the Internet and they are likely um, to be exposed to attacks if their admin management inf- interfaces are also exposed. So there's potentially over a 100,000 instances there that we know of just by doing a show- a quick showdown search. Um, and obviously with cyber criminals, cyber threat actors, they are more, can be more sophisticated than a quick showdown search as well. And then lastly, so it's already being exploited, but there is a proof of concept exploit due to come like in the next week or so so once that is published online obviously that does help network defenders but it also provides cyber criminals that maybe aren't as sophisticated a way like a step by step guide of how to exploit that so think in once once that is published within a week we're going to see exploitation of this vulnerability grow exponentially.
0: So it's that bad combination of there's lots of these devices that are affected. It provides significant privileges. It's easy to identify. And then we also have this proof of concept coming, which is really going to drastically increase the amount of actors that are able to exploit this. So it's a really significant one to be aware of, I guess. We've spoken previously at great lengths on the importance of taking like a risk based approach to fixing vulnerabilities. Could you provide us with an overview of this approach and any other sort of top tips you think are pertinent for the never ending battle of fixing vulnerabilities?
1: Yeah, so taking a risk based approach is um really the best way to manage all of the vulnerabilities that are out there, the you know, every week we seem to be seeing a new critical vulnerability. And it. it's not possible for people to to apply every single patch, to apply every single mitigation advice. And that's because of, you know, they can't afford the downtime, they can't afford it cost wise. Or it's just actually, it's too difficult with the legacy infrastructure that, that people might have in place. So that's why having a risk based approach is, is the best way to tackle this. So that is, you know, conducting monthly assessments of the vulnerabilities that are affecting your organization and your network infrastructure, ranking those vulnerabilities based on What's the biggest business impact if something goes wrong? And then prioritize patching those that score the highest when you conduct those assessments. Yeah. So that's it. But other top tips for tackling vulnerabilities we've spoken before, minimizing attack surface, big one. Um, obviously the holy grail is applying patches if you can do them using the mitigations if it's not possible. So, in this instance, um, if you can disable internet-facing HTTPS um, administration interfaces, then that's a that's a great mitigation for this particular bypass bypass vulnerability. Um, and then also the old classic of employee education. A lot of vulnerabilities will require a threat actor to be authenticated. So in order to gain employee credentials they're probably going to be sending things like phishing emails to get that access that they need and authenticate themselves so knowing what a phishing email looks like and knowing when to report it so you don't click on bad link is also a good preventative step
0: brilliant I really don't have much more to add on top of that that was very (laughs) comprehensive yeah just you know it's vulnerability management is so difficult isn't it and there's so many factors that can get in the way that can just make it harder as you said so kind of resources you know having the right personnel in place understanding what assets you have and and identifying those problems in the first place that's a big problem in business Just actually understanding what your, your network even looks like so yeah it and so many often.
1: places sorry to interrupt so many places are running shadow tech as well mm. so they yeah they just have no idea what's on their network and that to me blows my mind as a cyber security professional but i know it happens
0: <laughs> there's definitely a big space in this kind of interesting business in general isn't there for identity management and and understanding what you have um, yeah yeah that's a big problem i've run into um excellent thank you very much and uh, we'll move on to the last topic of today's podcast And that details a report from Sequoia that I recently discovered on a topic of Traffers, um, who I'd never heard of this term before, actually, but actually they they supposedly play a a key role in the distribution of several cyber threats. So I thought I'd give Kim a a moment off the mic to um, perhaps give an overview myself on the blog and what it identified. Um, So Traffers monetize traffic to botnet operators uh, who, of course, intend to compromise users. Uh, widely or specifically to a region or operating systems. And I guess the main challenge challenge facing Traffers is therefore to generate high quality traffic, you know, without bots, without the uh, network they're targeting, um, detecting them, or kind of being analysed by security vendors or or being filtered by, you know, their traffic types. So in other words, you know, Traffers activity is to um, provide lead generation to other malicious activity. And to generate traffic, Traffers lure users from legitimate or compromised websites and redirect them to a server, a website or other malicious content that's operated by a botnet owner. And as part of a growing trend, numerous uh, numerous Traffers join a team to distribute information stealing malware on behalf of a, a, a kind of a team administrator. And in these teams, you know, Traffers, you know, they can be either kind of really skilled threat actors or kind of newcomers into the threat landscape. So kind of showing you know, what we've discussed before about how it's becoming easier to enter the world of cybercrime really and therefore there are they are, a, they are a, a gateway into this um, cybercrime ecosystem for kind of newcomers into the space. and administrators of these TRAFIS teams generate user logs so that could include cookies, passwords, crypto wallets documents in order to exploit or sell them online. So you know obviously we've re- previously talked quite a bit about the risk of info stealing malware including in our recent research report um, that was uh, released back in June on account takeover. And this is just one of the primary methods that threat actors are using to get onto networks, really, in purchasing stolen credentials that are taken by various info stealers and using that as their way into network. So if you remember the recent breach affecting Uber by the Lapsus group, I think it was, what, a month ago, a few weeks ago, that's exactly what they did. They just purchased a stolen account off the dark web you know, possibly from some of the services that Digital Shadows track for our clients, you know, likes of, you know, Genesis or Russian Market, you know, many of the listings on these automated vending cart services, you know, they're from the likes of Redline, you know, Raccoon Stealer, and just many of these different info stealers, really. So this is a massive problem. treffers are, are a big part of um, this, this emerging threat, I guess. So did you have any further thoughts on this one, Kim? It seems to be you know, just a, like I say, another indication of the, the increasingly professionalized world of cybercrime, you know, not a, a term I'd come across before, but, you know, as we spoke, you'd, you'd heard of this one, right?
1: Yeah, so I, in my previous life, I had come across traffickers they weren't called traffickers then, but I remember having to do a lot of research to get my head around, like, why cybercriminals need traffic in order to generate Income. So yeah, that took me a little while to get my head around it. Um, but yeah, definitely a really good example of how professional things are coming. The thing that struck me when I read the report was that when they're joining these teams, inexperienced people will get training sessions. I'd never, I'd never seen that before. You always kind of think of noobs being at the bottom of the of the like pecking order and and people that more experienced people don't want to work with so I, found, I thought it was really interesting that actually these people with no skills are being welcomed into these teams and actually providing providing them with training and then just other things like they were running monthly competitions to see who could get the most traffic and you know if you if you're inactive for more than two weeks in a row, then you get kicked out. So, yeah, it's just it's just quite interesting to read all of all of those intricacies of running a criminal team.
0: Yeah, just like motivations and incentives, isn't it? It's like a legitimate yeah. business, really. I suppose if you join a job and you don't receive adequate training, could point of this as an example. say, so. look, even these guys are getting trained. <laughs> Come on, sort me out here. Just to step off, Mark, and, and talk about initial access as a problem in general, you know, what do you think are the main mistakes that companies are facing or making um, that are providing threat actors with kind of these opportunities to get onto their networks?
1: I think we're just going to round up what we've already talked about today. It's um, Vulnerability exploitation is a huge problem for businesses. It's it's how criminals are getting into systems those things that we talked about you know not applying patches appropriately and and in the most important place using shadow tech not knowing what you've got on your business Um, and then obviously the other main way that cyber criminals and threat actors enter networks is through phishing and social engineering so it's not investing in employee education and and having them not understanding is actually really interesting. I do an exercise class on a Friday morning. That's not the interesting part. But the lady that I was with today is a sign language interpreter. And she did a training course yesterday for cyber security, And she said it was really hard because she didn't understand the terms. But that just goes to show the level that some businesses are investing in it, that they're even translating it into sign language for their staff. So... I thought just thought that was a nice, nice heartwarming tidbit for the cybersecurity world.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and it's really nice to kind of summarize the the rest of the podcast on the last question as well. So, thank you very much for doing yeah. that. <laughs> good stuff. Um, we'll call it a close for today. Um, I'll just end by mentioning we don't have any blogs released this week, but we do have the ransomware quarterly going out next week. Uh, this is a really good summation of what has happened in the ransomware. I guess landscape um in q3 of 2022 some really good insights uh, drawn by my colleague on that piece so definitely go and check that one out next week but thank you everybody for listening and thank you kim for joining me today
1: no problem thank okay. you for having me
0: my pleasure as always and we'll see you soon goodbye
1: bye